Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Antonio Caon. He is an actor who's appeared in numerous TV shows and in several Hallmark movies, including one that just came out that we're going to get to in our interview. He's a really cool person to talk to. He's involved in a lot of really neat things, and I really enjoyed my conversation with him. So let's get right to it. Uh, So what have you been up to over the past uh, few months uh, as we all deal with COVID? Oh, man, uh, these past few months have been wild, I guess, for everybody. Um, in addition to working as an actor, I also uh, am part of a restaurant group called Collective Hospitality. Uh, so myself and three partners and kind of a, a constellation of, of um, integral, <laughs> integral members of the operation uh, have just been running the restaurants. Um, during the pandemic, we launched something called the Staff Meal Initiative. Uh, so that really kept us on our toes. The the, the word of the year was pivot, right? And so <laughs> yeah. every small business uh, has been counting their pivot. And, we, you know, we're at 17 different pivots. You know, we, we just kind of keep coming up with business models to keep the lights on. So that's that's largely what, uh, what I've been doing. And then uh, when I'm not on set and when I'm not there, I'm just like full time at home because the other side of this pandemic that's been pretty... Um, surprising and I think certainly destabilizing for certain age groups has been how children are reacting to it and I have a two and a half year old who you know does not really understand what's happening but he does understand that he can't see his friends and his grandparents and so it thrusts us into the position of you know parent and authority figure as well as primary playmate as well as imaginary friend as well as anything (laughs) else you can imagine so uh, it's it's pretty full time and it's great (laughs) Um, so as with a lot of people, you kind of have a plan for your life of what you want to do. And then something happens and you kind of, like you said, you pivot to something else. So you originally wanted to play soccer, uh, and then uh, you kind of transitioned into acting. So how did you kind of make that move into acting? Yeah. I mean, I wanted to play soccer. I I don't know. I was good enough. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. When I was a kid, I thought I was great. Um, and I played, I played pretty competitively up into a certain point, but, um, I, I could definitely see that there were people around me that were further ahead. Uh, I just had a really good work ethic. And so um, to say that I wanted to play soccer is, is, is both uh, the, the dream as a kid and a little bit of naivety. But if I actually dial it back, when I was in grade uh, seven, I ended up auditioning for, um, for the show that ended up being called Kids TV and went on to become Popular Mechanics for Kids. Uh, and so that was kind of my first foray into this world. I didn't know what it was i hadn't really you know necessarily considered acting as a as an option I, I i wasn't a kid who 
who dreamt outside of what I understood. My parents were teachers, you know, I'm, I'm sure that uh, had certain things not intervened in my life, that that's where I would have ended up mm-hmm. um, because that was what was modeled for me. That's what I, I kind of knew to be available. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I discovered acting. I would say acting got put in my way a few <laughs> times and I would bump into it, do it, and then kind of go around and do something else and it would get put in my way again. I'd be like, oh, that's strange that this keeps showing up. So it wasn't <laughs> until high school that uh, I injured myself in a, um, a guidance counselor kind of like, saw how the system worked and put me in drama classes because they didn't need prerequisites mm-hmm. uh, and I worked my tail off and um, yeah kind of the rest is history I mean I found my way into theater school by by the good graces of a teacher who um, forced me to send in an application <laughs> and I got into theater school and didn't know what I was doing but I had some wonderful teachers around me made some you know like forever friends and uh, and here I am nice uh, now uh Christmas in Evergreen, Bells Are Ring, I think is the fourth in that kind of Christmas uh, is in Evergreen right. or is, is Evergreen. So tell me a bit about the movie that's coming out, uh, I think December 7th, I think. December uh, 5th on Hallmark and 6th on W Network. So okay. so the Canadian the Canadian contingent gets to watch it a day later, um, <laughs> which uh, I think W Network is getting a lot better actually about um, getting movies quickly. Uh, which mm-hmm. is pretty exciting. It used to you'd wait like a week or two or three or <laughs> never to see it. Um, so the, the Christmas and Evergreen series, one, two, three, four, is um, a series of installations about a town where Christmas is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, snowmen and snow angels and uh, musical festivities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Hallmark has a lot of towns like this, but Christmas and Evergreen somehow took off as like the place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so each installation usually sees someone drop into the town, fall in love with someone from the town and either stay or go. Um, with part four, we're not seeing that same model. We're seeing two people, Hannah and Elliot, who are from the town, who have been in the town and been best friends uh, since childhood and who have slowly cultivated a relationship and really risked it all to see, is there something more here? Um, because they have these big feelings for each other. And so in uh, episode or installment, I don't know what they're called, but in, in part four, you watch Hannah and Elliot navigate um, mm-hmm. the nuances of a relationship that is intersected by their ambitions and their goals and the things they want for themselves and the way in which they identify. Uh, and that's all against the backdrop of a town that's also kind of doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. You see Carol and Joe, who are fixtures in the town and you know, they're at a point in their lives where they want to reinvent themselves. And the same thing with uh, Holly, who plays Michelle, the mayor. She's about to get married. And so the the, the town really comes to life. And the Robbins uh, sisters, the twins, the, Coop, the Cooper sisters <laughs> on the show, the Robbins in real life. Um, mm-hmm. But you really get to, to delve into how the town functions kind of as its own person. How did the town make the people the way they are? Mm-hmm. And then uh, you've done quite a few Hallmark movies. Is there something that you like uh, about the movies? Uh, is it do you get to kind of work with the same people or just the, the, the tone of the movies is, you know, they're so positive and, and happy movies? Yeah, I didn't know about uh, Hallmark before I moved to Vancouver, in fact. Um, <laughs> and so it, it was this real discovery that I like stumbled into these like sweet, wholesome, happy ending movies. And had you asked me 10 years ago what I wanted to do, it's like, dark broody (laughs) like 
like I want to end up on HBO. And then I find myself in this world that I kind of love. Like it really is quite positive and wholesome. And like I said, I have a young kid at home and I think a lot about um, what types of things I can sit on the couch and watch with him. And I would feel very comfortable, uh, you know, with him seeing this world. So um, there are a few things that I think that Hallmark really nails and, and uh, chief among them is the casting. I would say that every time I get on set for a Hallmark, and this is what I, I, I do think I love the most, is that you meet these people who are generous and kind and positive and uh, happy to be there. And they're all at different points in their career. Some of them are like industry veterans who paved the way for the way television is now. Some of them are uber green. Some of them are like, you know, we've been digging our whole lives and all of a sudden we find ourselves in this place. And yet you can really come together and, and see each other and, um, and learn quite a bit. Um, I talk about on, on Christmas Evergreen 4, there's a ton of fantastic actors. And I, there's a guy named Daryl who plays Henry Miller. And at a glance, if you read the call sheet, you don't know who he is. Mm-hmm. I know who he is because I grew up in Ontario reading plays. And every time I would open a new play, there's this guy, Daryl Shuttleworth. <laughs> and I would be like, <laughs> who is he? And so you end up on set with somebody who is a, a fixture in the, the canon of Canadian theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the stories that he's able to offer you are outstanding. So I, I really do think that there's something in the casting of Hallmark mm-hmm. that draws me to it time and time again. Uh, now, with the Hallmark movies, uh, outside of that, you've been on The Colony, you've been on The Magicians, X-Files. Do you still find yourself mm-hmm. getting a bit starstruck when you, you know, some of the people that you interact with on these shows that you've you know, maybe watched uh, on TV before? Yeah, um, 50-50. So here's a weird thing. I've never been a person who's really starstruck, but there are certain stars that strike me. <laughs> and so I've had to really <laughs> ask myself why that is. Um, you know, I grew up watching Prison Break and then I found myself on Prison Break and I was like, man, hey guys, it it just (laughs) didn't phase me. Mm -hmm. Whereas standing in front of like Gillian Anderson, I lost my mind. Um, (laughs) I couldn't get words out. Uh, And so it's not so much about, I'm, I'm kind of influence struck. There are people that I think have really shaped the industry or shaped the way I think sometimes. Um, shape things that I think uh, uh, things that I believe to be possible like Holly on Christmas Evergreen is a great example I mean it's almost impossible to be starstruck around her and yet mm-hmm. her access is to is to people who I look up to as having created the foundation that that allowed me to to do what I do mm-hmm. um, and so every so often things like that just get me um, and <laughs> currently on Mighty Ducks I thought it would be Emilio Estevez uh, that I was starstruck over because I was like deep into the ducks, ducks fly together, <laughs> flying deep, like that was my language. And yet I'm from Canada and Letterkenny exists. And so I, I remember getting getting on the, the shuttle and seeing Dylan Playfair and being like, well, I can't talk for the rest of the day because there's someone from Letterkenny on the bus. Like that was my starstruck. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I I 100% get the Gillian Anderson being starstruck because I would be the exact same way. Teenage Craig would be losing his mind if that was me. So yeah, (laughs) yeah, and she's and and like as is supposed to happen, she keeps getting better. I mean, Mm. I saw her in the fall. I thought she was amazing. I watched Sex Education. I, I couldn't even wrap my head around what a brilliant character she made. Yeah. And, and now a friend of mine has 
bullied me into watching the crown because it wasn't really <laughs> on my list mm-hmm. and and the reason i started watching was that i heard jillian anderson was in it i'm like i'm uh, and so i'm gonna start because she can do no wrong <laughs> absolutely uh she's also really good in the american gods she was actually really great in that the first season oh at least. okay yeah I'll put on my list. <laughs> there you go so that's another one um <laughs> In terms of your work, uh, you, you mentioned that you try and look for uh, representation, like you want to see proper representation in the work you pursue. Just tell me a bit about yeah. that. Yeah, so you kind of asked earlier around like how I got into acting and I said, you know, in my household, my, both my parents were teachers. And so if asked, that's what I would become. Um, uh, media, television, movies, music, etc., play a really big part, I think, in in how we, how we can digest information and understand where we belong in the world. It helps us shape our identity. Um, it, it really helps us figure out our path. And so growing up, I didn't have that many options. Uh, th- there weren't a hundred shows on television telling me where I fit in. In fact, there were maybe 99 shows telling me that I didn't. And then one show telling me that I did. Um, you know, I, I watched the Fresh Prince reunion episode the other day and and spoke to a friend of mine and said, how did you like it? Um, and my friend is white and he's the, one of my best buds. And he was like, it was really good. And he was like, how did you like it? And I said, I cried through it. Like <laughs> I cried from beginning to end mm-hmm. because what I recognized was that that show showed up for me at a time and in a way that no one else and nothing else really did. Um, and so when I speak about diverse representation and I don't speak about it just racially or culturally, like right across the board, mm-hmm. how you show up in the world often needs to be reflected back to you for you to understand how you're allowed to show up in the world. Um, we, we as individuals want to figure out who we are. That's our quest. Who am I? Mm-hmm. And so much of the world spends its time telling us what we are. Um, and so a, a show that allows me to show up as who I am is really important. And so when I speak about diverse representation, specifically also within the Hallmark spectrum, um, I think it matters that households are going to be playing these shows on repeat uh, mm-hmm. and what they see needs to not, not look like just the homogeny of their home. It has to look like their entire neighborhood. It has to look like their province or state or city or, or whatever they live in so that they can start to filter through new questions mm-hmm. of, of who am I in relation to this? Absolutely. Uh, this is a hard question to answer, I think, but is there a favorite role that you've had uh, over the course of your career? Um, yes. It, it, it's unfortunately a role that no one, no one will ever get to revisit. <laughs> um, but it's actually an easy question for me. Um, so growing up, when I graduated from university, along with a few friends, I, I, uh, I started this, this not-for-profit called Project Humanity uh, that still exists today. We use art as a way to raise awareness. We make theater. And um, my dear friend, who was the artistic director uh, and still is the artistic director of the company, Andrew Kushner, stumbled across this really big idea to create verbatim theater uh, and bring it to to Canada. I shouldn't say create, verbatim theater existed, um, to begin honing his craft in verbatim theater. And so we worked with um, a youth shelter in Toronto. Uh, and over the course of a period of time, we ended up creating this piece called The Middle Place. And The Middle Place was a lens into a youth shelter that allowed 
an outside audience to really get to know what the struggles of this transient lifestyle were and who were the people that ended up there and why and start to break down biases and break down barriers um, of, of understanding or of class or, or economic differences or whatnot. And so we ended up touring it around Canada, or sorry, around Ontario to a bunch of schools across Canada. We were in BC for a little bit, uh, a couple stops along the way. And, and that was my favorite role because I got to dip in and out of five youth within the shelter system to help tell a story that I knew no audience could sit on the other side of without being completely transformed. Um, and there were only, there were four actors on stage, but there were about 30 plus voices. Um, okay. and, and I think that hands down, that's the richest experience of my life in terms of, in terms of art. Um, so, unfortunately, we never got to make a movie version, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess uh, next thing you mentioned it uh, earlier when I was talking about the, what you've been doing the past year, but uh, so restaurants, you're part of a restaurant group. Uh, tell me a bit about, you know, what, 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 how, how you got involved in, in restaurants, uh, why it's something that you uh, like to pursue uh, outside of acting. Yeah. When I first got in, so my life is a series of green lights that I happened to follow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it doesn't always make me sound the most in control of my life, but I will say that like, I, I don't spend a lot of time sitting at a red light. If I'm at a red light, I'll make a right turn and go in a new direction um, and, and really give over to the idea that um, that that the world can kind of lead you to the things uh, you, you really truly desire if you're just listening. So my mother, as mothers do, told me I needed to get a job at a certain point. And she found out of this, uh, this new restaurant that was being built and was hiring. And she sent me down there in the cold with a resume. And she said, don't come back without a job. <laughs> and I went down and there were no buildings. There was nothing there. It was an old heritage area called the Distillery District in Toronto. And I wandered around for like so long. We're talking like streets not paved, dirt, mud, like debris. There was no construction. There was no restaurant. Mm -hmm. And then there was a big truck and a guy in the truck was unloading chairs in the rain, looked miserable, not a happy dude. And knocked on the truck and I was like, hey, I'm here, I'm here for a job. <laughs> um, he did not find amusing at all. And, uh, and and I, and I said, yeah. and I just told him the story. I was like, my mom told me I got to come get a job at a restaurant. I don't see the restaurant here. He told her to go. And he was like, man, the restaurant's not opening for like eight months. Go away. And I said, and I said well, what are you doing? And he said, I've got to, I'm obviously unloading chairs in the rain. Like just, you know, choice words go away, but go away. And I said, I'll make you a deal. Like, why don't I just stay and unload the chairs with you? And uh, if there's a job on the other side, you can hire me. And he was like, he just thought I was the dumbest kid. And I kept showing up. <laughs> And uh, he was the general manager and he kind of made a deal. He said, um, said, listen, if this works out, I'll hire you as a busser, which I knew nothing about restaurants, but I knew that, you know, it, it probably wasn't good because I'd never heard of it before. <laughs> and I said, uh, I said, I'll do all this stuff with you. You hire me as a busser. And if at the end of the month, I'm not the best busser you've ever seen, you can get rid of me. But if I'm the best, you have to make me the king of the bussers. <laughs> and, kind of rolled his eyes and said sure uh and gave me a job that was my first restaurant job like not even working in restaurants um <laughs> but i got to work with the management team as they were setting up and building and whatnot and that blossomed into like a series of opportunities where i did become the king of the busters and i got to hire all my friends and we got to like really run this operation from like inside in the bottom um and i learned a, a ton because of the people that i was working side by side with were all the heads of the organization so i, I got to learn things that i wouldn't 
have had access to otherwise, theory and philosophy, management strategies, things like that. Um, and I knew that serving was useful as an actor uh, because it gave me a lot of flexibility for auditions and I stayed in it, but I always made a deal with myself that I wouldn't be in it if I wasn't learning and I wouldn't remain in something that I was unhappy with. And so what it really forced me to do was to say, if I'm going to be in this business, how do I put hospitality on a pedestal and make sure that when I'm here, it gets every ounce of my attention, um, but that I can walk away and do this other thing. And so somehow I was able to split my mind in two and say, I do these two things full time for the rest <laughs> of my life. And I love them both dearly. And, and what was interesting is it made me less hungry. I wasn't concerned if I wasn't acting because I, I had something that I loved and I wasn't, I, you know, if I wasn't, if I was on set, I wasn't thinking about my restaurants because they'll, they'll be fine without me. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I guess, you know, pushing forward to now, when I moved to Vancouver, uh, I met up with one of my, one of my, one of my old friends, Andrew Jameson, who was in the middle of putting a restaurant together. He decided I'm going to open a restaurant and he had never done it before, but we've always been the people that get hired to help other people open theirs. So we just got the band back together and started doing things our way. And, you know, a, a lot of um, steep learning curve, but mm -hmm. uh, the one superpower that we have is we can just do the work. It doesn't matter if I don't know exactly how other people do it. What I know is I can think it through. I believe in myself and I'm not afraid of hard work. Uh, and, and everybody who sits at the table with us has that same brand marking, mm -hmm. you know, like if it costs us 24 hours of being awake, then we're awake for 24 hours. Is there <laughs> a way to do it faster and easier? Probably. And we'll learn it one day, <laughs> but we get the job done. Nice. Uh, I guess with, uh, with COVID it's, you know, hard to say what's coming next year, but what is on tap for you coming into 2021? God, I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> I wish I had, a, I wish I had answered that. Um, yeah, it, there's just so much uncertainty. I mean, 2021, I don't know what's happening tomorrow. Like, um, <laughs> Vancouver's in the middle of uh, new restrictions and lockdowns uh, are, are look like they're coming. Mm -hmm. We'll see what that looks like as a result of it. Like quite literally right before this call, I was, I was piecing together, you know, the rest of our strategy to move into takeout and to figure out if we're going to do take home kits as well um i'm still auditioning so there's a bunch of those irons in the fire nothing's been shut down in vancouver at least uh, that i know of on a wide on a large scale but um i i hope we still have an acting industry that's that's doing well next year there might be little little dips that we encounter um i don't have anything booked beyond uh, once i finish mighty ducks you know i don't know yeah. i'm waiting for the next green light um <laughs> but really all i can say is is on tap for me in 2021 is taking a, a hard look at kind of like how the family works and how the businesses work and how to make sure that make sure that we are remaining present and mm -hmm. maintaining our connection and our, our community connection with each other so that regardless of what's happening out there we're okay and that the people that i'm connected to are okay and that we remain in service to our community both as a family as a restaurant group as as neighbors and whatnot. Cause I think that more than anything, that's what we need. That's, that's the answer. 
No, absolutely. It's, I think it's the truth for a lot of us. Uh, and I guess yeah. uh, the, the last question is, uh, if people want to follow you, they want to know about what you're up to, uh, they want to maybe see your website, things like that, follow you on Twitter, Instagram, all those places, where, yeah. where can they go? Um, to follow me, probably Instagram is the, the most accessible, certainly. Uh, that's the one that I show up on the most, and it's just my full first and last name uh, as my handle, Antonio Caon. Um, I also have a website. Uh, I won't lie. I'm not the best at updating it. <laughs> I try. Um, but, you know, we just, there, there are so many things that are happening that I, mm-hmm. I, it is one of the things that fall by the wayside. Um, but I'm, I'm doing an update today. So, so at, least, at least it'll be current as of today. As of today. Um, those will be the two best places. And then I, I also show up on Twitter. Again, my handle is just my last name, Kaon. Uh, Twitter is the one that I use the least. Um, mm. I'm learning to love it, but it's not it's not a medium that I'm naturally uh, connected to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, those are those are the three spots that I exist in the world, at least virtually. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Antonio. And if you did, please leave a rating and review. You can reach me at Craig at CanadaEHX.com. You can visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. And again, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX. If you'd like to find me on Facebook, go to www.facebook.com slash Canadian History X. You can find me on Twitter. My handle's Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram. Just search for Bairdo37. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.